our church's need to be serving and loving the poor and the marginalized in the city of St. Charles. And have you ever had one of those moments where maybe because of the way that a person looked at you or because of how you were feeling that day or, or what they said, like their words in a statement just got seared into your mind and you've never been able to forget them. And like even when you think about what they said, it's like you can take yourself back there. For me, the grungy atmosphere of cybergs over some hot wings and a Diet Pepsi. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me with a very concerned look, a very impassioned look, and he said, Jay-Z, I don't want to be a goat. Now, right now, if, if you're new to the church, or you're new to the Christian faith, and this is your first time at Matthias Lot, you may be thinking, that was about the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Like, dude, it's okay. Here's a mirror. You're not a goat. You're a human, you know? But what Matt was saying in that moment was deeply profound and spiritual. If you know what Matthew 25 says, as Jesus speaks, he talks about the coming of the King, the coming of Christ. And he says that the King will be seated on His throne and the angels will be with Him. And He will gather up all the nations before Him. And He will separate the goats on His left. And the goats will be destined to an eternal fire. And then He'll put the sheep on His right And they will be destined for a kingdom that has been prepared for them from the foundations of the earth. And the thing that's said as to how Jesus discerns between the sheep and the goats is through the faith that is being expressed in Christ by their love and by their obedience to the commands. You see, the sheep that are taken to the right, on the right hand of God, are there because Jesus says that when he was thirsty, they gave him drink. And when he was hungry, they gave him food. And when he was naked, they were clothed. And they would say, well, wait a second. What do you mean? We don't remember doing any of those things. And Jesus says, when you did them to the least of these, when you did them to the poor, and when you did them to the marginalized, you did them to me. But then he looks at the goats and he says, you did none of these things. You didn't feed the hungry. You didn't visit the sick. You didn't see the ones in prison. Because you did not have faith that brought about fruit in love, you are a goat and you will be destined for the eternal fire forever. Tonight, as we gather together, I have a significant question. I believe it's the most significant question that you will ever ask yourself today. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ or are you not? There is no in-between. You're either one or the other. And if you are a follower of Christ, John has been saying this whole time through the study of the epistle of 1 John, you can be certain 
You can be assured in your faith because of the fruit that will be bore in your life by the faith that you have in Christ and the love that you have for your brothers. This is why he writes the whole letter. If you look, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, this is the summation of why John is writing. He says, I'll write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know, Christians. He wants us to be certain that we are sheep and we're not a goat. Are you certain today? As we journey through this message, I hope to help make you certain if you are a sheep. On the other hand, if you are a goat, if you are a non-believer, if through the looking of these four assurances that you would say, you know what, it is more clear to me than ever that I am going to be on the left hand of Jesus when he separates the sheep from the goat, that I do not know God, then our prayer for you tonight is that you would cry out in confession and repentance to the king and pray that he will have mercy on you by calling him to himself in giving you the faith to believe and to trust him and to love others and follow him in obedience. That's our heart tonight. Let me pray for us, and we're going to get in. In the text, as I pray, if you want to begin to turn there, it's 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would do a work. God, I pray that you would move in this room tonight. Jesus, we believe that if you don't send your Holy Spirit, if you don't illuminate your word in this time for us, God, if you don't bring about revelation and confession and repentance, then nothing will happen tonight, God. So we ask you to come, and I don't ask you to come for my namesake or for the namesake of anybody that's here, but for your namesake, so that you can be glorified. And when we leave this place tonight, we can be confident that the church came to worship you. In goats, sinners, Non-Christians who don't know you, they heard the word preached and they'll be held accountable for that word. But God, we pray that if there is a non-Christian here tonight, if there is somebody who has not trusted you as Lord and Savior of their life, would you mess them up tonight? God, would you mess them up and reveal yourself to them and help them to see their sin? And God, may they confess through your power and turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. And as, as we get into this, let me just say this. Out of all the years that I've had the opportunity to be able to preach at, at Matthias, almost four years now, I have not encountered a text that's been this difficult. And so I want to share that with you, that I have read numerous commentaries. I've, I've listened to all the messages of the guys that I trust very deeply, and almost every single one of them went a different direction. This is a, a difficult text. I've probably logged over 30 hours preparing for this message. I didn't finish it until 11 o'clock, and I'm going to be real with you guys. My head is spinning. And so I hope I, do, I hope I do a good job of being able to bring this message to you by the power of God, and I hope that there is something that you can receive from it because I believe that that's God's heart tonight is that we would see his word and that we would experience it. And if there are any questions that you have, ways that you want to know, hey, what was the different directions that different people have taken this passage, I would love to be able to sit down with you and encourage you with that. But pray for me because this is a hard text and I'm excited to be able to preach it tonight. The first point that I want to make as we get into this verse, our sheep are assured by their love. And if you have a bulletin, 
You've got some place where you can take some notes so you can write some of these uh, on, on your bulletin. And I'd encourage you to follow along with me. Sheep are assured by their love. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. The very first word here in verse 19 is kai en. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. Now we've seen this these two words a few times before already. We saw them in verse 10 when John wrote, by this you will know if you are a child of God. And then we saw them again. If you remember from last week, we saw them in verse 16. By this we know love. Now there is a consistent pattern here as John uses these words. Earlier he said, by this you will know you are a child. By this you know that you are of the truth. By this you will know if you are a sheep. Okay, now, we all ought to sit up in our seat and we say, by what? What is it that we can know that we are truly a follower of Christ? John isn't looking forward here to something that he's about to say. He's actually looking back to something that he's already said in verse 18. He said, what, if you look back in verse 18, he said this, Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. The whole focus of the message last week is that God has called us to see his example of love as expressed through Christ, that we would recognize the needs of others, that we would lay down our goods for them, and that we would meet their needs. Not just loving and in speech, not just saying, I love everybody in general, but loving people specifically. We have been called by God to love our brothers. And when we say brothers, we specifically are talking about fellow Christians, fellow followers of Jesus Christ. So John looks back now to verse 18, and he says, you will know if you are of the truth, if you are loving your brother like Christ has loved the church. That is great assurance for us. And the reason that John can say that is because if you love your brother... If you love Christians to the point where you are willing to lay down your life for them and to sacrifice your goods and your possessions for them in view of Christ, you can know that you are of Christ because that type of love is not naturally in you. You don't possess that otherworldly type of love in and of yourself. So you can know that you are of the truth if you are genuinely loving your brother like Christ has loved the church. But going on there, he says that you can reassure our heart before him, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. It's not just that it's by this that you can know that you're of the truth, but it is also by this that you can reassure your heart when your heart condemns you. Now, we need to pause here for a moment and look at what does it mean for our hearts to condemn us. I think that there are two ways in which Christians experience a heart that is condemning. Let's look at these two ways through Scripture. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, and I'm going to have these up on the screen so you can follow with me up here. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish of God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When we experience Christ, the writer of Hebrews tells us that our conscience was purified. 
And so with having this conscience that has now been made aware to sin, when a follower of Christ commits sin, it becomes very aware to us because God has given us a conscience that is now very heightened to sin. And so whenever a Christian sins, and I know that every person that truly knows Christ in here will be able to relate to this, when you have sinned, your conscience begins to condemn you. And a very sensitive conscience that is condemning yourself can lead you to a point where you question your sonship. You look at God and you say, God, if I am able to do that, am I truly a follower of you? If there's something that I have understood over the course of journeying with Christ, I'm beginning to realize more and more that the closer I come to knowing God, the more aware that I am of my sin. And when I sin, it it brings me down. I look at my sin and I think, if I say that I love God, how could I live like that? The other way that our conscience can be condemned is by this. Revelations chapter 12, verse 10. Satan accuses them day and night before our God. The deceiver, Satan, who is prowling around like a lion on this earth, is accusing us day and night. There's a Shane and Shane song called Embracing Accusation. And you guys know we did a video about this song that's on YouTube. And and many of you have probably heard it. And the song goes like this. The devil is singing an age-old song that I am cursed and gone astray. The deceiver wants to come to you and wants to give you doubts in your mind about your standing before God to make you doubt that you are truly a Christian, that you are truly a sheep. And so we can feel that we are condemned. We can feel through our circumstances that we have gone out of our relationship with God and we begin to question our faith. This happened to one of my students um, about a year ago. I sat down with him. He was from my youth ministry and he had asked if he could have lunch with me. And I sat down with him and he looked at me and he said, I don't, know if I'm a Christian. I'm struggling in my faith. I, I want to believe in God, but, but I'm, I'm really wrestling right now with, am I really a Christian? Do I really know God? During that meeting, the things that preceded that was that his dad had just had a five bypass surgery from a very severe heart attack. He had lost his job. And not only that, but the ministry that he was actually leading and involved in was struggling, and it was going through a ton of change. And so he got together with me, moving through all these difficult situations of life. And in that time, too, dealing with some sin and being accused. Your dad, he's, he's had this massive heart attack. Are you, are you really sure that there's a God who loves you if you would let your dad go through that? Look at all these Christians in your ministry. They say they're Christians, but it doesn't really seem like it. They're all messed up. Are you really sure that there's really a God that is calling Christians to love each other? And he was was confused in his mind. And this is what I did when I met with him. I looked at him and I said, I almost said his name, (laughs) friend, I want you to think about something. Remember the time that I met you. Where were you at? See, when I had come to that youth ministry, this young man did not know God. In fact, he would have been one of the furthest away from saying that a person could 
know God. He had like a Saul to Paul conversion. In fact, one of the times that I had had interaction with this young man before he had received Christ and he began to follow him was in the bathroom of our church building where he was making a drug deal. And I had to sit down with his parents and make them aware of this situation that their son was selling drugs in the bathroom of the church, which, by the way, if you're going to sell drugs, don't do it in the church. There's got to be like a special place for people to do that, you know? So that was one of my interactions with this guy. And I said, look at what God has done. Look at what he's done. You went from being the center of sinners to a man that is laying down his life daily so that lost and confused youth can know the gospel. You have genuinely changed your heart towards your parents through the grace of God and you've begun loving them where at one time you hated them. You've been a hard worker. Look at what God has done in your heart. Look at what he's done in your life. Look at, look at your love for your brothers. That's not you. That's not the you that I knew. God did something to you. He changed your heart. He gave you a love for other believers and he gave you a love for the lost. And you couldn't do that in and of yourself. And through that, I encouraged him in his faith. I believe that John is saying something very similar here. By this, you can know that you are of the truth if you genuinely love your brothers, but also Christians. The word for reassured here is persuaded. So by this, when you are struggling in your faith, you can also persuade your heart before God. You can look at the way that God has given you the grace to love people and you can say, that was not in and of myself. This is a change from God. And your heart can be persuaded. Now this isn't the only way that John encourages us to be persuaded whenever we're struggling with condemnation as a follower of Christ. He also says this, if you follow on there in in verse 20, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything, we, we, can not only, we can not only look back and appeal to the love that God has given us, but we look to the giver of love. We look to God. And if you read with me, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, as we look to God's word whenever we are struggling with our faith as a follower of Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, as Paul writes, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. As a follower of Christ, there is not a promise that you will be completely free from sin. But there is a promise that Jesus Christ came and he lived the life that you should have lived. And because he died the death that you should have died, whenever you are under condemnation, you turn to Christ. And God reassures you because God knows everything. God knows who his children are. And so you don't put your confidence in yourself. You put your confidence in him. And even as you look at your story of love, you're not looking at yourself. You're looking at the love that he has given you, which is not of yourself. It's not about your works. It's about God. So when you're struggling, Christians, you can be reassured in your faith. Now, if sheep are assured by love, the question that I think that you need to struggle with if you're saying, 
I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, is can you look at your life and can you genuinely identify a love for Christians? A love that would be willing to take your life and to lay it down and to meet their needs by even taking your own possessions and selling them so that you could meet the physical need of a brother or a sister in Christ. If you can't be reassured by that type of love, then you need to wrestle. You need to consider, are you a follower of Christ? Do you have faith in Jesus? Let's go on here to the second point. Guys, I apologize for this mic. Number two, sheep are made confident through obedience. If you're taking notes, write that down. Sheep are made confident through obedience. This passage that we're going to read now is 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and we do what pleases Him. I think that what John is saying here in this passage, in the very first verse of verse 21, it's, it's really pretty simple. You can be confident before God if your heart is not condemning you if you have been living a life that desires to worship God and to please Him. You can approach God in prayer. You can come into His presence with confidence if you have been obeying. That's why the point I've made is sheep are made confident through obedience. When you've been obeying God, you can approach Him in confidence. Now, there's a, a message that I heard a while back by a man named Mark Dever. Now, this guy is an incredible pastor, and he actually preached the whole book of First John in one message, which means that the dude is like wicked smart, okay? That would just blow my mind. I don't even know how you do that. But through that message, he gave an analogy that I want to share with you that hopefully will help you to understand this picture of approaching in confidence when you have been obedient and when you have been pleasing to God. He uses an example, and I just want you to imagine this, and I'm going to kind of twist, uh, I'm going to change his analogy a little bit, but I want you to imagine I am um, the CEO of a business, and you are the chief vice president, and I decide that I need to go out of town for a few months to take care of some business. So I come to you and I say, while I'm out of town, I want you to take over the business. I want you to take care of things. And so we sit down and I say, here are the things that you're going to need to do in order to make sure that this business remains successful while I'm gone. And so I, I show you the things that you need to do. I encourage you, and then I leave. And while I'm gone and I'm taking care of my affairs while I'm away, I write you letters. And in the letters that I write you, I give you more instructions about the things that you should do in order to keep the business going and to be successful while I'm gone. And in those letters, I'm very specific. And in those letters, I encourage you. And then there's a day where I come back. Now, when I get back, I come to find out that you have done none of the things that I've asked you to do. I say, well, don't you remember the conversation that we had before I left? And I said, hey, you need to do these things while I'm gone so that we can make sure that, that things remain in order. And you say, yeah, I, I remember that conversation. And then I said, well, what about the letters that I wrote you? Don't, do you remember the letters? And I gave you clear instruction, and I encouraged you in the letters, and I said, these are the things that you'll need to do in my absence. And you say, yeah, 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 I read the letters. Now, in that moment, when I return, 
Are you going to be at your peak confidence before me? Are you going to be able to stand in confidence knowing that the things that you were asked to do, you did not do? In the same way, as Christians, when we are obedient to God, we can approach Him in confidence when we have been obedient. We can approach Him in confidence when we have been seeking to please Him. In that moment that I just described, that's probably not going to be the time where you're going to ask for some vacation, right? Like that's probably not going to be the moment where you're going to ask for a raise because you know in that moment that you have been lacking in obedience. Now I'm talking about your part on your side. But John says here that when we have been seeking to please God with our life, we can approach God in confidence. Now, as we approach God in confidence, John says that your prayers will be heard. And not only will your prayers be heard, but listen to this. He says, And whatever we ask and we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and we do what pleases Him. So whenever we are living to please God, we will receive what we ask for in prayer. Now, one of the things that is so important for us to catch in this moment is not that being obedient to God earns us answered prayers. Okay? Do we get this? Just because we're obedient to God doesn't mean that our obedience is going to get us what we want. That is not what John is saying. But when we are seeking to please God it, with our life, our prayers will be heard. There's a quote that I want to give you from a man named John Stott. This is what he says about this. Obedience is the indispensable condition, not the meritous cause of answered prayer. Obedience is the condition that we can approach God, and when we approach God, John says that our prayers will not only be answered and they'll be heard, and there is a reason for that. And as he says this, he's really looking back. John chapter 15, verse 7 says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When we are abiding in Christ and we approach God in confidence in prayer, because we are abiding in Christ, because we are living a life that seeks to please Him, our prayers will be answered and they will be heard because our prayers are going to be in accordance with God's will. You see, when you are seeking to live a life that pleases God and you approach God in prayer, you are seeking to do the things that you believe that God desires for you to do. And so some of those prayers may look like God. I pray that you would help me to share faith with my neighbors. God, right now I've realized that I am not managing my finances well. And so I'm praying to you right now, God, that you would give me wisdom in order to understand how to manage my finances and to glorify you with my money. God, I want to know you more. God, as I open up the word, And as I seek to to read your word and to know you more, God, would you give me the knowledge to understand the deep truths of Scripture? God, would you help me to love my wife? God, would you help me to be a better father for my children? Those types of prayers, friends, are God's will. 
and because they are God's will and because you are praying them to please God so that you can live a life of glorifying Him and worshiping Him, then God will answer those prayers. I believe God loves it when we pray those prayers and He is happy to answer prayers that will bring Him more glory. So, are you able to approach God in confidence or because of your life, are you living in such a way where you have not been seeking to please God? Right now, if, if you would say that you are a non-Christian, I would imagine that even in the times that you try to pray, you feel like you almost have to shield yourself, that you can't really approach God confidently because you look at yourself and you recognize the sin that's in your life. And I want to assure you in this, just in the moment, that despite that sin, God desires for you to come and to lay your sin down at his feet and lay it before him so that he can cleanse you and so that he can forgive you for those sins. Sheep are made confident through obedience. And here's the third thing I want to share with you tonight. Sheep trust in the shepherd. Sheep trust in the shepherd. And this is from 1 John Chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded. Here's the thing. Right now, if you're here, and let's say this is your first time ever to come into a church, this would be the danger, I believe, if I stopped the message right now. You would look at these notes that I've printed out and you would have listened to my words and you could say, you know what? It says that if I love and I love people really, really well, then I can be assured and I can know that I'm a Christian. Or you may look at number two and you would say, if I'm obedient, then I can be confident. And so your quest in becoming a Christian and following Christ would be that you just got to really try hard to love. And you've got to really work hard to be obedient. But friends, that is not the way to knowing Christ. The way to knowing Christ is expressed beautifully right here by John in this passage. He says, and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son. That is the way to knowing Christ. That is the way to faith. This word believe is important, and especially because it's followed by the name of his son. You see, John doesn't just say, believe in Jesus. There's a lot of people who would say that they believe in the historical Jesus. They believe that Jesus actually came and he lived on this earth. They believe that there was a man named Jesus who died on the cross, some of those same people can believe that Jesus was actually raised from the dead, that he arose after three days. You can have all those beliefs about the historical person of Jesus and you can still be a goat. What John is saying here is believe in the name of Jesus because in the name of Jesus there is more concealed than him just being a man who walked this earth. John is saying here, believe in Jesus who in the first chapter of this epistle 
He said, is God who has come in the flesh. He's always been and He will always be. Believe in the One who is fully light. In Him there is no darkness. Believe in the One who died as a ransom for sin, who became a propitiation that He could die, that He could take on God's wrath for sinners, and He could make atonement. You have to believe that Jesus is God. You have to believe that He came and He lived the perfect life, the life that you and I should have lived. And then you have to believe that He went to the cross, He set His face resolutely for Jerusalem, knowing that that was His call to worship through being obedient, and He went to the cross and He bore our sin in His body. And He bore it so that you and I could be restored to our relationship with the Father. That is believing in the name of Jesus. You can believe that Jesus was a good man. You can believe that Jesus was a good teacher. You can believe that Jesus died on the cross. You can believe that Jesus, maybe through some crazy circumstance and miracle, rose from the dead. But if you do not believe that Jesus is God and that His that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus for sinners, then you don't know the gospel and you don't believe in the name of Jesus. We desire you to believe in the name of Jesus because if you just believe in a historical Jesus, then there is still God's wrath that is to be poured out on you for your sin. Another thing that I love in this passage is this. You see, as John writes, he does something, and I don't know if anybody picked this up, but this is very cool. Check this out. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. If you notice, he doesn't say, and these are the commandments. He actually makes some, a type of a grammatical mistake here for a purpose. He says this, and this is his commandment. And he gives believe in the name of his son and love one another. Which when Jesus talks about this and he's asked what the two greatest commandments are, he says love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your mind. And the second command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. For John, the love for Jesus and the love for our brothers are so connected that you can't separate them. Clearly, a faith and a trust in Jesus is first. But if you say that you love Jesus, you must love others. That's why during the judgment, as Jesus is on his throne, it's so clear who Jesus can distinguish from the sheep and from the goats. Because if you trusted in Christ, it will be obvious that you love people. And if you don't love people, it will be clear. It's clear for John. It's clear for Jesus. I hope that it's clear for you. You're not a sheep. You don't know the true and living God. Last thing I want to say is this. Sheep are sealed by the Spirit. Verse 24. Sheep are sealed by the Spirit. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us this word abide we've seen it several times and we're going to see it several more times 
It's the picture of remaining. It's the picture of continuing. The picture of staying. And what John says here is that if you are keeping his commandments, you are abiding in God. And not only in God, but God in you. And it doesn't take much to look back to the commandments and to see what John means now as he says abide. He means that you are trusting in Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And through that trust, you are loving the brothers. And through that love, you are worshiping God by pleasing Him and by being obedient. That's the picture of abiding in Christ. And Josh says that when you are abiding in Christ, you will have the Spirit. This is as he goes on, he says, And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now in this whole book of 1 John, in this first epistle, this is the very first time that we've seen Holy Spirit or Spirit. And as we continue on, there's going to be a continuing theme as we look at spirits. And in fact, I think that the purpose that John puts this here is to, again, give us an assurance that if you know God, you will have the experience of the Holy Spirit within you. And he wants us to be assured as Christians. He wants us to be confirmed in knowing that we truly are a child of God. But as he puts this here and as he writes this, He's preparing us for where he's going to be going as he talks repeatedly now from now until the end of 1 John about the Holy Spirit. And so if you desire to learn about the Holy Spirit and you want to know more about what this is, I want to encourage you now to continue to come and to grow with us as we learn about the Spirit. But there's a few things that I want to share with you about the Spirit. As John writes here about the Holy Spirit, this is what I believe that he means as he says that you will know that you are abiding in him because you will have the Holy Spirit that he has given us and this is how you will know. I believe that he says that because for John, as he points to the Holy Spirit, the primary way that he is going to talk about the Spirit in this epistle is in the Holy Spirit bearing witness to the truth of Jesus Christ to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So as a follower of Christ, you have the seal of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in you by assuring you of who Jesus is, by assuring you of the truth of Christ. This is what I believe Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Check out this verse. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we have the Spirit working with our spirit and is bearing witness before us that we know Christ. The purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit is when the Spirit seals us as Christians, it seals in faith. It gives us faith that will help us to persevere to the very end of this life. And by keeping that faith, we know that we are truly a child of God. The Holy Spirit keeps out doubt. The Holy Spirit assures in us and seals in us a faith that will continue to the end and keeps out apostasy, falling away from God. And the Holy Spirit works in us by keeping us from evil. The Holy Spirit is the sign that we truly know God. And so tonight, do you have 
the seal of the Holy Spirit. John talks about having the Spirit and knowing that you are of God because of the Spirit. What he's not saying is that if the Holy Spirit comes in you and causes you to stand on your head, then you'll know that you are of God. He doesn't say that if the Holy Spirit comes in you and causes you to do crazy things, then then you'll know you're of God. No, if the Holy Spirit comes in you and gives you testimony to the truth of Christ, then you'll know you're of God. Because the Holy Spirit illuminates Jesus for us and the Holy Spirit leads us to worship God as we glorify Him and as we're obedient. I'm going to ask uh, our band to come up and Brandon's going to come up and share and uh, lead us in worship. And as we close tonight, I want to encourage you with this. As I began the beginning of the service talking about the sheep and the goats and that there is a day of judgment coming. Christ has come. He was God. He lived the life that we should have lived And again, he died the death that we should have died. And tonight, if for the first time you are seeing in full view your sin, if you are realizing that I have not lived a life of love, I've not lived a life of obedience, I've never come to a place in my life where I have truly trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life, and I am certain that I do not have the Holy Spirit in me. If you would say that tonight, this is how I want to encourage you. I hope that as I've shared this, talking about sheep and about goats, that I haven't offended you, but the gospel is offensive. And the gospel draws a line in the sand. And you either know God or you don't know God. And so if you have been coming and you're saying, you know what, I'm confident that I don't know Jesus, but tonight for the first time I recognize my sin and I see God for who He is and I truly desire to have a relationship with Him, then I want to assure you that the Holy Spirit is working on you and that God is moving and He's calling you to Himself. Do not resist Do not harden your heart. There's info cards in front of you, and I want to encourage you to do this. If you want to know more about following Christ, we want to meet with you. Mark or myself, one of our elders, we want to get together with you, and we want to tell you what it means to know Jesus and to have a relationship with Him. Do not harden your heart. Allow us to share the gospel with you. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for the assurances tonight. God, that we can know that we know you if we love our brother. God, that we can have confidence in approaching you through obedience. God, I thank you that you have given us another clear picture of what it means to truly have faith, and that's we will trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior And from the overflow of that, we will seek to please you and we will seek to love our brothers. That's been abundantly clear. God, I thank you for the seal of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray tonight, as you have used this message, I pray to encourage believers. I pray that you would use it in another way. And that's to break through hard hearts of people who don't know you. God, would you move? God, would you work? 
God, I love you and I thank you for this church and I thank you for my brothers and my sisters that are here who I love very much. And I pray, God, that you would encourage them in the faith for your glory and for the joy of your people that you have called. In Jesus' name, amen.